Why don't y'all stand with me? Matthew chapter 16. Once again, Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas. All right, yeah, it's okay to say it back. Yep. There we go. Merry Christmas. All right. Matthew chapter 16, starting in verse uh, 13. I think it's only appropriate on Christmas that we spend time uh, with one of the most important conversations that we see in God's word. It starts off and says this. When Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say that the Son of Man is? They replied, some say John the Baptist, others Elijah, still others Jeremiah or one of the prophets. All good things, all nice things. But you, he asked, who do you say that I am? Simon Peter answered, you are the Messiah, the Son of the living God. Jesus responded, blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, because flesh and blood did not reveal this to you, but my Father in heaven. And I also say to you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overpower it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth will have been bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will have been loosed in heaven. Then he gave the disciples orders to tell no one that he was the Messiah. From then on, Jesus began to point out to his disciples that it was necessary for him to go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders, chief priests and scribes, be killed and be raised on the third day. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the gift that you've provided us in your son. Um, And for those of us that have put our hope in Jesus, we praise you for the gift that you've provided to us uh, in the insight to be able to see him as a gift, Father. I pray you would remind us of your incredible grace uh, in him. And I pray for those of us that haven't seen it yet, uh, that you would give that same gift today through your word, through your spirit, showing who your son is. That's the way that you always give that gift. We ask that you would just do what you always do, Father. Be with us. Give us grace. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Why don't you take your seats? I'm going to start a phrase and I want you to complete it. If you don't have anything nice to say, Don't say anything at all. Um, That's great advice about not insulting people, right? Nice words are good words. Mean words are bad words. So if you don't have any nice words to say about anybody, the best thing for you to do is don't speak. And I think that's great advice, and it's good in much of our lives because it shows us the importance and even the necessity of nice words. Uh, But I think it's advice like this uh, that makes Christmas incredibly difficult to help people understand the true meaning of Christmas. And here's what I mean by that. Um, When it comes to Christmas, uh, everybody has nice words about Jesus. Part of the decency of humanity is 
even if you hate somebody, at least on their birthday, right, don't, don't give them all these mean words, nice words. And sometimes I think what we think as progress when it comes to how somebody understands Jesus uh, can really be problematic. That as we look at nice words or the nice things that folks say about Christ, he's a prophet, a good teacher, a nice man. I love all the things that he came into the world to do. Uh, Sometimes those pleasant thoughts can be the most problematic. Uh, Because as sure as mean words are bad, um, it's possible for nice words to be very wrong words. Have you ever had the unfortunate experience of being in a a dating relationship with somebody? And you walk up and um, they are to introduce you to somebody else. And they say, yeah, this is John. This is my friend. Right? That's a nice word. Um, Technically, yes, we are friends. But it's a, a little bit of an insult because... I thought that we were so much more. So your nice words were fine. They were just wrong. Your pleasant words were pleasant, but they're problematic if people are ever really going to grasp who it is uh, that I am. And when we come to Jesus, I want you to hear this. Jesus comes into the world And part of his goal is not just that people would think nicely of him, but that people would think rightly of him. If Jesus just wanted people to think rightly of him, do you know how he would have come into the world? With a big white beard and a big red suit. He would have used his power just to give everybody all the things they want so that at the end of the day, people thought nicely of him, but that's not it. So So much so that in the gospel of Matthew, what we see is this. Jesus is going to spend his time silencing the Pharisees because he's saying, y'all are saying things about me that are untrue. But even amongst the disciples, people that get it, Jesus is going to silence the disciples. And at the end of this, he tells them, don't talk. Not because the things that they say or, or that they'll say or untrue, it's just that they're, they're undertrue. They're not the full story. So if there's a main point that I have for our brief time here today, it's this. Look, Christmas, it's all about Jesus coming into the world. Um, and he comes, not just that people would think nicely of him, but that you and I would think rightly of him. And I want you to hear this. Knowing Jesus Knowing who he is, um, it is a gift that keeps on giving. Knowing who Christ is is a gift that keeps on giving. Matthew chapter 16, en route there, I I think the first thing that we get is this. um, Good thoughts about Jesus, hear this, they aren't good enough unless they're God enough. So good, good thoughts about him aren't good enough unless they display The fullness of who he is, Matthew 16, verses 13, it says this. When Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say that the Son of Man is? They replied, some say John the Baptist, 
others Elijah, still others Jeremiah or one of the prophets. But you, he asked, who do you say that I am? And Simon Peter answered, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. Jesus finds himself in contact with people. Hear this. The pervading view of who he was was that he was a good guy, a prophet, an exceptional guy. They had, he had their respect. And even with all of that, Jesus comes in and he says to them, Yo, listen, but who do you say that I am? And Simon Peter says this, look, look. you are the Christ or the Messiah, and he links that up with this term, you are the son of the living God. The Messiah back in this day was what you had was a group of people that were oppressed, downtrodden, frustrated, and the source of their hope, they were waiting for this anointed messenger from God to set them free. So you have this this group of people, they're waiting on something. And the prophets came to point them towards that something. And as Simon Peter looks at Jesus, he says, no, no, look, you are the something that we were waiting for. But what we were waiting for wasn't just a something. It was a someone. Our hope is in God himself, and what he's saying is Jesus, in your person, God has actually come down. What they need, what we need, is not a sign. What we need is a son. Listen, it's the difference in between a thirsty person seeing a sign for a water fountain and being at the actual fountain. You and I tend to live life um, as if there's, there's something. So if you just sit back right now and think about your hope, think about what's frustrating you most about life and what needs to be fixed in order for that thing to be fixed, what would you say that it is? You may think that it's money. You may think that it's the racial divide in our country that needs to be fixed. You may think that it's problems that you have with family. We all know that things are broken and we think that something needs to be fixed. But I think what Peter gets right here is that all of us aren't searching for something. Hear this, you and I are searching for someone. If you want to know what the weather's like outside, do you know what you don't do? You don't wake up and go searching for a course on how to become a meteorologist. Do you know what you do? You search for someone. You find somebody that already is that, and you have access to them. If you get in trouble with the law, do you know what you don't do? You don't go online and start to apply to to go to law school. Do you know what you search for? Not something, but someone. 
in every longing that you have on the inside that something is wrong, your answer, your hope, is not rooted in something. It's the same way. It's rooted in someone. And that someone is God in the flesh who has come down in the person of Jesus. And Simon Peter, he gets it. For the first time in this gospel, this, this whole gospel is climaxed to a point where Jesus is trying to get across that he is that someone. And he gets it. And what Jesus does is he does what a professor in school uh, 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 told me to do. So I've been in um, this doctoral degree for education for the past um, seven years now. Hopefully I get done um, soon. And one of the things, the very first, first, first thing that I learned, we're sitting in class and he said, John, here's how you really drive a, a point home. When you ask a question and a student gets it right, don't just move past it. Stop and look at the rest of the class and say, hey, did y'all hear what he said? It's one way to encourage the speaker as well as encourage the rest of the people to listen up and hear the implications of what he said. That's what Jesus does. And he goes on and says this. Look here at verse 17. Jesus responded. Blessed are you, Simon. Y'all heard what he said? Because flesh and blood did not reveal this to you, but my Father in heaven. And I also say to you that you are Peter, and on this rock, hear this, I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overpower it. I will give you the keys to the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth will have been bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will have been loosed in heaven. Then he gave the disciples order to tell no one that he was the Messiah. Jesus... Peter finally gets it that Jesus is more than a prophet, more than a teacher, more than just a sign that's going to point us to our hope. He gets the fact that Jesus, as God, is our very hope. And then what Jesus does is once he gets this gift, once he makes this profession, Jesus speaks. And did you see how many times he used that word will, 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 will? He's making all these promises. All of these gifts of what will take place. And that's what I mean when I said, said knowing Jesus is the gift that keeps on giving. On Tuesday, um, you will open up gifts. And there will be lots of the things that you hoped that you would get throughout the course of the year. Um, and you'll feel full. And then a week later on New Year's, do you know what you'll do? You'll make resolutions because you'll feel discontent with where life is and you want it to be better. The gifts that we get on Tuesday will, f- will fill us up, but those gifts don't necessarily keep on giving. Knowing Christ, this is one gift, and Jesus is going to unroll and say, look, 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 if you really know this, Look at all of the things that will take place. Will, 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 will. There's three things that we see here, three brief things, and I'm going to be done. The very first one is this. Uh, The first gift that we see here is the blessing, hear this, of knowing that Jesus Christ as God uh, is that gift. 
verse 17, it says this. Blessed are you, Simon Bar- or son of Jonah, because flesh and blood did not this because flesh and blood did not reveal this to you, but my Father in heaven. Hear this. Uh, Jesus Christ is God's gift to the world. But as Peter makes this profession that Christ is the Son of God, Jesus is going to go and say, Peter, you really have this gift. Now you've taken a hold of this gift. And here's what, uh, what I mean by that. Jesus is God's gift to the world. It's not Jesus himself that is the gift. It's the insight to be able to perceive him as a gift. Here's what that looks like. Say you have a child that has never seen a credit card before, ever, has no concept of what that is. And they say, hey, mom and dad, uh, for Christmas, I want money, $20. On Christmas morning, they open up the box, and they don't see a $20 bill, but they see a credit card with your name on it, or maybe somebody else's name on it. What's that child going to do? He's going to be angry. He's going to be frustrated. Why? Because he didn't get what he wanted. And he doesn't have eyes to see that, oh, no, 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 no. This credit card is actually better than the $20 that you wanted. So do you know what you would have to do as a parent? You would have to sit down with them and say, hey, I know you don't think this is what you wanted, but let me help you see how this credit card is actually better than the thing that you prayed for. What Jesus is saying is, no, no, Peter, God gave me as a gift to the whole world. Everybody thus far has seen the same Jesus heal and walk on water and feed and make folks whole and make folks preach. Or, or, and preach, but you have a group of folks that are angry, that are mad, that despise him, that want to throw him away. But Peter is the only one that has eyes to see, and he sees this as an incredible gift. And Jesus starts off, and his main point is this. Look, anybody that has seen Jesus for what he is, any one of us in here that have put our hope in Christ, you have not done it because you figured it out. You weren't smart enough to know what Christ did and how giving your life to him is the best deal that you can make because when you give him all, you actually don't lose anything. You weren't smart enough. The only reason that the light bulbs came on is because God was kind to you. And if that's the case, then there's three things that we should do. Two things that we should do always and one thing we should never do. The very first thing is this. We should always praise God for the fact that he turned the lights on. That's why we come here and gather. We're grateful for what he's done. But you and I sit back and we should always praise God. Lord, thank you. Because without you, I do not know where I would have been. We should always Pray that God would turn the lights on for somebody else, right? 
you don't, you don't have the power to turn the lights on for anybody. It's the Spirit of God. And one way we acknowledge that is we pray that what God has done for us, he would continue to do for other people. So we constantly stay in prayer. Parents, this is why we pray for our kids nightly. And if you don't, it's a good routine to remind you, do all that you can to parent and to lead your kids to know Jesus. But at the end of the day, unless God turns the lights on, what you do is not going to work. But if God does turn the lights on, then what you've done has been helpful, but what it does is it keeps you from feeling as, as a failure as a parent. If things that are outside of your control don't take place. So we always praise God. We thank him. We always pray that God would turn the lights on for others, and we never punish people who don't see Jesus for who he is. We don't condescend, we don't talk bad, we don't shun, we don't put them off to the side, we don't shame, but we continue to do the first two. We continue to pray. And the blessing of this profession is that we are reminded that we have a father who loves to give the gift of his son to us. Here's the next thing that takes place, and he says this, verse 18, and I also say to you, that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overpower it. Uh, just really quick, that verse right there, uh, in the uh, original language, Jesus is going to use a, a play on words. Peter, right, Petrus means stone or rock, and so he says, you are Peter, you are rock, and on this rock I will build my church. Catholics have wrongly believed that Christ meant Peter was going to be the foundation on which he built his church, and that's where you, you get this pope, right? They feel that the popes have come down from Peter, and there is this one person that is the head of God's church. Uh, that's not what this is right here. The rock that Jesus speaks of, hear this, this is not about the importance of Peter, it's about the significance of Jesus. This rock that he speaks of is not Peter, it is the profession that Peter makes that Christ is the Son of God. That's the foundation, that's the rock that Christ builds his church on. But here's the other blessing of knowing what Christ is. He pr promises, not just Revelation, he promises this protection. On this rock, here, this, I'll build my church. And then what he's going to say is this, the gates of Hades will not prevail against it. What does that mean? Back in this day, gates of Hades uh, was just another way to describe what's called the realm of death, right? So two things that are very certain in this life. People are born, and people die. Death being one of the most destructive and final forces in the world. And what Jesus says is all those that 
know who he is, the reason why it's the gift that keeps on giving, is he says this. My church, those who put their hope and their trust in me, uh, the realm of death, the clutches of death, the thing that is as natural as birth, will not overpower his church. So the point that he's trying to make is this, that uh, nature tends to run its course. Circle of life, right? You know, folks are born and then they, they, they die. Uh, what he says is that uh, nature isn't going to run its course when it comes to the church. Fire burns things. Water drowns things. Lions eat things. Tornadoes tear things down. Evil governments destroy the weak and oppressed. That's the way that things go, except for the people of God. Except for God's people. There's a uh, guy, John Flavel, who wrote this book, The Mystery of the Providence of God. And one thing that he says is this, look, um, grace makes the promise, right? That's what Christ does here. Uh, But providence is the payment. So grace makes the promise. But the way that things actually work out show that the promise was good. Um, have you ever found yourself in a relationship with somebody and you do something outside of the norm and they start off with this phrase, um, I just think that it's funny that. It's a, you know, and what they'll say is like, um, I know you wake up at 4 a.m. and you get tired at 8.30 And that's why you don't ever want to wash things around the house or take out the trash. I just think that it's funny that when your little friends call at 1030, all of a sudden you're up. I just think it's funny that nature runs its course, except when there's something that you want to do and then things change. That's what Jesus is saying here about the gates of Hades not being able to prevail against the church. In a sense, this is what nature says to to God. God, I just think it's funny that fire burns things, except when your little friends are thrown in the fiery furnace. God, I just think it's funny that water drowns things, except when your little friends are in danger, and then they can walk across it, but then it comes down. God, I just think it's funny that nature runs its course, except when you have a special interest in a group of people, and then things don't run their course. What Jesus is saying is on this this profession, those of us that put our hope in him, death, 
will not have the final word. So fear can't have the loudest voice. How do we strengthen those muscles? Do you know how we do that? We look at the past and learn the history of our people. And when I say our people, I say that inclusive of all of us in this room. Because there is an our people that is confined to the ethnic backgrounds that we have and God made us and we rejoice in that. But there's also an our people that is not confined to a specific ethnicity, but to a chosen race of God's people that's recorded here in the pages of Scripture. The way that we strengthen this muscle of the fact that God has come to protect us where fear doesn't have the loudest voice is being reminded of all the people that God preserved that is climaxed in his son that was sent into the world that died the death that we should have died. But the gates of Hades didn't prevail against him. He jumped out. Knowing Jesus is the gift that keeps on giving. It humbles us and reminds us that the revelation that we have from God is itself a gift. We praise him for it. We pray for others, but it also gives us courage because we are reminded that as God's people in the church, disaster never means ultimate destruction for us because nature runs its course except for the people of God. And lastly, he gives Not just a blessing, not just uh, protection, but he gives this projection. 19, I will give you the keys to the kingdom of heaven. And whatever you bind on earth will have been bound in heaven. And whatever you loose on earth will have been loosed in heaven. Um, Time won't allow me to talk about all the wrong ways this verse has been translated. Uh, But I will let you know this is not about you having the power and authority to bind and loose demons and principalities and financial struggles and all that, like that's nowhere in this context. This is in the context of Jesus building his church, hear this, on a profession of faith, and you're going to see this phrase bound and loose twice in the gospel of Matthew. Do you know the two times that you See this phrasing? It's the only two times that you see this word church. Matthew 16, where Jesus talks through the way that he's going to build his church, the profession of faith, the the entrance, the front door, is this profession that Christ is the Son of God for us. Matthew 18 is the next time that we're going to see this bound and loose. And it has to deal with somebody that has made a profession but lives their life constantly in contradiction to the profession. And Matthew 18 is not about ushering folks in, but showing them the exit. 
So this whole concept of the authority that Christ gives, its aim is that this, look, that the church here would be a reflection of God's kingdom there. So when he says to Peter or to this church, I give you the keys, he's He's just giving family members the responsibility to tell folks how they come into the house. It's an invitation. If you go to my house and your last name is not Anwu Chekwa, you do not have a front key into my door. So what that means, <laughs> so what that means is this. You you don't have the authority or the power to bring anybody into my house. But when Mo and Sandy lived down the street from our house, do you know what we did? We gave them a key to our house. So they didn't just know the way to our house. They had the means to be able to get in, and they had the means to invite other people to come in. What Jesus is saying to the church right here is that he's provided them, he's provided us with these keys, the ability to invite folks into his house. To say, listen, the front door is unlocked for everybody and anybody that would make this profession of faith. So you and I go uh, around and we have the unique privilege of helping people not just think rightly of Christ or not just think nicely of him, but rightly of him. We remind everybody that nobody gets in through effort or hard work. Everybody comes in through God's gracious gift. And this baseline is just... Do you have a hope for something to change in your life? Do you believe that what you need most is not something, but someone, God himself, who came to die on the cross for your sins? Do you believe that? Here's the house key. Come on in. That's an amazing and unique privilege that we have, but look at the end of this story, Matthew 16, 20. It says this, then he gave the disciples orders to tell no one that he was the Messiah. Why? Why? Didn't he just give them the house key, the way to come into the front door? And now he's telling them to be silent. Why? Because even though they understood who he was, they didn't understand how he was going to accomplish his work. Look, knowing that something works is not the same thing as knowing how it works. I was 11 years old, and um, my best friend, Jamin, uh, told me how to swim. He said, you just jump off of the board and you move your hands and kick your feet. So I knew in order to swim that my hands and my feet had to move. Knowing that 
something works is not the same thing as knowing how it works. Let me tell you, it is the difference between swimming and drowning. I jumped into that pool, and I didn't quite know how it worked. And Jamin had to jump in that pool and save me. Look at this. After Jesus tells them who he is, and they get it, he tells them to be quiet, to be silent. Why? Look here at verse 21. From then on, and this is, this is a shift. Hear this. The rest of the gospel of Matthew is about Jesus going to the cross and dying. From then on, Jesus began to point out to his disciples that it was necessary for him to go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders, chief priests, and scribes, be killed, and be raised on the third day. They understood he was God. Do you know what they didn't understand? The process through which God is going to get his glory in this earth. And it's going to be, first, humiliation, then exaltation. If Jesus was just a teacher, then he could have just instructed them and said, listen, I don't want you all to be afraid. The gates of Hades will not prevail against you. But Jesus was more than a teacher. Jesus, the Bible says, is our elder brother. So he's not just going to tell us and instruct us on the way to go. He's not just a nice guy that points to our hope. He is our hope. And so what that means is he is going to traverse territory that you and I are scared to go into. What Jesus does is he doesn't just say the gates of Hades, the realm of death, will not prevail against God's people. He shows us. Let me see if I can explain it like this. Um, my daughter, uh, we had her into, uh, or in a crib until she was about uh, a year and a half. And what would take place was that uh, it would be time to go to bed. Some nights she'd go right to bed. Some nights she wouldn't go to bed. So we would take her and we would just put her in a crib and we would let her cry it out. Do you know why? Uh, because the gates of the crib overpowered her. She couldn't climb up. She couldn't boost herself over. She was stuck. She did not have the ability to get out. So it was great. Then one day, we put her in a crib, and she is like crying, losing it. Um, It's 18 months, so we've uh, passed the point where we're sympathetic to her crying because we know that she's just going to cry and fall asleep. Um, But then she stops crying. And as I walk by her room, do you know what I hear? I hear uh, the theme song to YouTube Kids on the iPad. She got out of the crib. So we have a camera in the room. We put her back in her crib. We go out. We watch the camera. And do you know what we see her do? As soon as that door closed, she grabs onto the top and she scales over the crib. Do you know what she did? 
She was put in the gates of that crib, uh, but those gates didn't overpower her. Well, then we got to the point where it was like we got her a, a bed and we just closed the door to the room. And then one day, she leaves. She, she gets out of the door. So we go into the room and we put the child lock thing, not on the outside of the door, but on the inside of the door. Because surely, right, it's childproof. In less than five minutes, she breaks it off and gets out of the room. So now, hear this. We've gotten to the point where we know that she is going to overpower any measure that we put. So we have this little chime on the inside of her door. So that at least when she gets out, there is an announcement that she's out. Hear this. Um, Jesus is the greater Ava. If we were a different kind of church, Swoop would have come to the uh, keys right now and started playing. (laughs) What went on? Jesus made this promise. But then what he said is, no, no, listen. I don't just want to make a promise. I want to go into those very gates. He's going to hear, uh, hear this, reverse the very course of nature. Men, because of our sin, should die and be captured in the realm of death. God, because of his holiness, should always live. Jesus, as God, comes into this realm and he dies. As a man, he dies. But do you know what takes place? The gates of Hades did not overpower him. He scaled those gates. And Satan threw everything at him, trying to get him locked down. Satan had him betrayed by somebody that he loved. He died as a criminal, thrown in a tomb for three days. But regardless of everything that he threw at him, Jesus broke through those gates. And do you know what takes place? Every time we are reminded of that truth, that divine door chime is the testimony of the church. Saying, look, there's nothing that we can do to hold him back. He's going to come out. The best that we can do is announce him when he comes. So Jesus tells this group of people, be silent because it's not all the way done yet. Jesus tells you and I, it's finished. It's complete. He's done the work, and he's going to do what I wholeheartedly expect Ava to do when she gets siblings. That when they find themselves overpowered by the gates of that Ikea crib, as a good older sibling, she's going to go back, and she's going to help them out. And she's going to pull them out. And let them run free. And this is what the Lord Jesus does for all of us that find ourselves in the gates of death. Jesus is what's called the firstborn from creation. Jesus is going to do for us 
the same thing that he did for himself. For all of us that have put our trust in him, he's promised not just to rise from the dead on our behalf, but to carry you and I to victory. Death doesn't have the final word, so fear can't have the loudest voice. So what our task is, is not just to help people think nice thoughts about Jesus. We want them to think rightly about him. He's God. But he's not just a distant God. He is our father who wouldn't leave us stranded because of our own sin, but he would send his son to trade places with us so that he could experience our fate and we could experience the love, the joy, and the freedom. That's what Christmas is all about. And the rest of the year is you and I as his church serving as that divine door chime to announce We serve a living God who promises life to all those that follow him. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for your grace and your incredible kindness towards us in the person of Jesus. Father, we thank you for the fact that um, you have given to us what we could never earn. You have helped us to see what we could never figure out. I pray that this day and this week would be a time that we just find ourselves incredibly grateful for you, Father. Lord, as we prepare to give, uh, we ask that you would uh, help us to be those that give out of an overflow of all that you've provided to us, Father. God, fill us with your spirit, fill us with the contentment that comes from knowing that we're yours. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen.